You're listening to the Northern Hills Baptist Church Podcast. Welcome back to the Northern Hills Baptist Church Podcast. My name is Justin Love. I'm your host and producer with my friend, BJ Terry. Hi, how's it going? <laughs> Pastor Steven Chichester. What was the point of the banjo in that? It's just a, it's was, a, it's a good I mean, band. if you were to take the banjo out, as like nice, juicy music. I mean, I think of it like if, it, like eating, that song is like eating steak with ketchup. This is like, <laughs> like, ooh, this would be good if there was no banjo. You know, this I would be good if there good was no ketchup. The, I think it's good with the banjo. I okay. think it sounds really yeah, good. Yeah, I actually like it personally. Yeah. Oh, well, well, you we got, hicks. Uh, we got, <laughs> I'm, okay. Okay. I okay. That's, tr- that's true. We're talking to Justin Love here. <laughs> if there is, I mean, the, the walls surrounding us are more hick than. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Oh, uh, we got, I've been playing the banjo since I was like nine. Do you play the banjo? Yeah. Now, I really? don't mind the banjo. It's just yeah. with that, with like some RB. I didn't know you played the banjo. Yeah. I would love for you. Do, do you, you ever do a special music with banjo? I used to a lot. I, I haven't uh, learned any new songs you in I, a very long time. So. You and Isaiah Skidmore, the both of you. Oh, need yeah. That mountain up. dulcimer was yeah. awesome. If you if you and him you him play the dulcimer, you you play the banjo, and maybe we can get somebody on some shakers. That's right. That's right. No, <laughs> Spoon. Spoons and a washboard. Yeah, yeah. And a cowbell. Uh, yeah, we need actually about six of those. <laughs> six cowbells, please. Different sizes. You can different, get different sizes. Notes out of different them. people, so they're not like all rung at the same time. <laughs> yeah, the timing's off. Yeah. Well, we have an awesome lineup for you guys today. There was a line at the top of the world this past week. Apple is acquiring an app to help parents monitor asthma attacks, and summer travels are about to get very crowded. That and more on today's podcast. Stay tuned for the rest of the show. Chichester's going to the Mars. You know, I, I picture like a dude in dreads just headbanging along and just killing that banjo. <laughs> just, it's like his fingers are smoking, like Steve Martin style. The, Judah and the Lion, that's, uh, that's Going to Mars by Judah and the Lion. They just dropped a new album called Pep Talks, and it is, it's probably one of their better albums. Um, it. I think it's a, an awesome band, and I think that the uh, the banjo adds a quality to the music, Stephen. 
It's definitely a unique instrument. You don't hear it very often. Definitely. You can pick that out of a crowd. That's right. Well, I don't know if you guys saw, there was a photo this past week, and this is coming from the New York Times. There was a line at the top of the world this past week. An overcrowded Everest summit led to the deaths of climbers this past week. I don't know if you, did you guys, any of you guys see the photo? No. It's, it's astounding. When I think of taking a photo at the top of the world, I don't see anyone else up there. Like Everest, <laughs> yeah. like Everest used to be this feat mm-hmm. that very special people could do. That they trained right. years and well, it years. Still, kind of is people. Some, some people died. Oh yeah, and, and I'm not. I don't want to take away from is that people respected. I suppose maybe respected how tough it is more yeah. than they do now. <laughs> Ex- yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's still and it's still difficult that there are special people that can do it because. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No. There's people that die there every year, right? It, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty good amount. And the fact of just climbing the tallest mountain is a feat of its own. But in the recent years, and this is one of the issues that they're having uh, in Nepal, is that they have these experienced climbers uh, f- that, are na- that are Nepali, and they're leading inexperienced people up the mountain. Mm. And you could just climb the mountain like any other regular person if you can pay enough now. Mm-hmm. essentially is, is what's happening. And this photo shows that there's at least 60 people in line to take a photo at the peak. And it's they're just sitting there waiting to take a photo at the top of the world. How long do you have to wait to take a photo? Like, how long does one photo take? Well, because... Well, the, number one, if correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a, there's a seasonal thing to it as well. There's yeah. only a certain period of time in the year that you can even go up there. Yeah. And then there's only certain periods of time during that period of time where the weather's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so are they like just sitting there waiting for the weather to get essentially, yes. nice enough to take a picture? Essentially, yes. They all went up as a large mass group because the weather was nice. Taking a That's group what trip they did. to the top of Everest. Who's with me? <laughs> not, not me. I don't feel like sitting in a line. <laughs> going to ride some donkeys <laughs> to the top. I don't feel like sitting in a line just to die. No. Well, I, yeah. If I'm going to die, I would I would rather like they, stand in a line. The oxygen, oxygen levels are actually extremely low up there. You right. actually need, unless you've done some severe training, yeah. you actually need oxygen a mask. You, yeah. You have to, to have oxygen. There. Yeah. You have to have oxygen tanks to get up there. You could take it off and you'll see photos of people that, you know, take it off at the summit. And they're like, oh, look at me. This is awesome. Yeah. yeah. But so the Nepali workers are actually asking the government to step in and say, hey, we need to lower the amount of permits because one, uh, the litter that is on <laughs> Mount Everest is insane now. Yeah. Just because they have thousands of oh. people that come there every Only year. leave footprints. And uh, and so there's flags, the there's tents. The beaches have signs that say, only leave Only. footprints. That's really cute. It is cute. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, it's just, it's really interesting the fact that now we have a line to get to the top of the world. And anyone can do it uh, as long as you have uh, like 40, 50 grand just lying around to pay Don't someone we to all. <laughs> take you up there. I mean, we've all got, most of us got like an extra kidney. We, yeah. I mean, we hawked that. Yeah. I mean, I've got a one-way ticket to seven kidneys worth 50 grand. Well, yeah. I mean, at least to get you started. On the but black market, at I least. don't know. I, last time I was on the black market, kidneys were really low. <laughs> 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 like, There's sold, just a surplus. <laughs> I, I, sold my, I sold my right pinky on the black market. This is just, this is just a... Uh, a a robot pinky that I have yeah. attached. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like Luke Skywalker, but just a pinky. <laughs> How much did you get for it? 
I will not say. <laughs> However, I don't owe anything on my house. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, moving on. Apple, I don't know if you guys saw this. Apple is acquiring and has acquired an app that will actually help parents monitor asthma attacks in their children. This is something that... I, I find really interesting. It comes from the Cult of Mac magazine, not not an actual cult. Uh, people who really really like Apple. Cult of Mac and Cheese. Cult of Apple products. Mm. Oh, well, not as good as Mac and Cheese. Oh well, mm. I think they are. But anyway, uh, mm. to each his own. Apple has a has continued a focus on their health consumers. Uh, of the health of their consumers, adding health features to their phones, their watches, and their tablets. I don't know if you guys saw, but in the latest uh, iteration of the Apple iWatch, they actually have a new heartbeat sensor. And there have been stories that are coming out that it'll uh, detect irregular heartbeats of the of the wearer and it'll say hey you you need to seek medical attention because something's wrong with your heart either it's too fast or it's starting to be able to detect affibulation um just irregular heartbeats and so people are, are their lives are being saved because of apple products i don't know what uh android products are doing but they ain't saving lives steven i save my life every day every day so, what do you guys think about this? Do you think this is like worthwhile I mean, to keep searching made from out? Apple, it'll probably malfunction. Probably kill No, I actually think it's a good idea. Do Do you I'm think sorry. that more more tech companies should invest in stuff like this? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's this is this is their way of being maybe part of part of the solution. I mean, I don't, I don't know, I don't know anything ab- like about like statistics as far as like how many people with asthma just drop dead like normally like as far as the and i'm not being cute i mean i'm being serious like what are the statistics because i mean if they're solving a real problem then you know good on them yeah you know Uh, i mean there's there's a market for it well yeah i I suppose their their end goal is to make money on it of course um but i mean it helps some people if we if we're wanting to look at this like glass half full kind of thing i mean i don't i don't think it's half empty yeah you know i don't but i don't know anything about like you know People dropping dead from you know asthma attacks or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I don't know any of those stats. Is there an app that you guys would like to see developed that would help you in your normal lives, like taking care of eight kids? <laughs> oh no, there's not an app for that. Uh, <laughs> yet, <laughs> not yet. Uh, no, the, the more electronics my kids use, the worse everything gets. I wish there were fewer apps. Yes. Amen. <laughs> no, nothing, nothing health wise or anything Technology's like that. Technology's not good for no developing I don't, children. I think at this point it's all luxury. I mean, we've got what we need to to do well in life. You know, yes. for the most part. I yeah. mean, I I'm not usually one who's you know um, it, a proponent for we need more technology. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I, I would be a proponent for we need less technology. I need less technology, um, but. Yeah, it is what it is. I was just talking to someone earlier today about uh, I'm taking some students to camp, and every year um, I, you know, I have to I have to talk parents into uh, letting their kids go to camp without their phones, yeah. and uh, and literally I got to talk them in. Not all of them. Yeah, there's a it's a it's a minority that I have to talk them into it, but I do have to talk them into in in some ways manipulate the the situation to where they don't send their kids to camp with their phones, and because these are parents who went if they went to camp, they went to camp without a phone. Yeah, right. I and, went to camp without and, a phone, and their parents went to camp without a phone. I went yeah, to camp I, without, I went without a phone. Camp without a phone. Right, and. And when I was when I went to camp, there was not a phone for me to take to camp. Right, <laughs> I didn't have a phone when I was going to camp uh, during the years I went to camp. And uh, so, 
um, I I just it's there's there's a well, systemic I have to problem. Text my girlfriend, Stephen. It's eh, the the parents uh, usually are saying, well, what if there's an emergency? You know, well, the adults have their cell phones, yeah. you know, and you can contact <laughs> us if it's. A, and of my, I've taken kids to camp for you know, almost a dozen years, and in those many years, I have never had a uh, a parent have such a dire emergency that a kid has to be taken out of camp. I mean, it's five days. It's yeah. four nights. Yeah. The odds are there's not going to be an emergency <laughs> that week. We can relax. We have these we have these these squares of foam around the room so that it will absorb a little bit of the sound and take some of the ping off. Well, uh, apparently duct tape doesn't fix everything, and, or he's using it wrong. And uh, so he's Justin's duct taped a lot of these squares up to the to the wall, and they are... Uh, jumping, they are, yeah, they are right now. Oh, oh four more go. just fell. <laughs> <laughs> As we're, they knew we were talking about. Oh my goodness, they are gone. So right now, we currently have more duct tape than foam <laughs> on the wall. That's great. <laughs> I'm gonna burn this room to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> well, that take the ping out. <laughs> take everything out. That's right. What's next? <laughs> summer travels. Summer summer travels are about to get very crowded. <laughs> Due to the grounding of the 737 MAX 8 aircrafts earlier this year, many airlines are having to add cancellations and push waiting times along with prices skyward. So the, the question is, would you fly on one of these big aircrafts that are that have been known to crash to the ground? Wow, you should do that more often. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, the 737 MAX 8, obviously this past year in February, one of them crashed in, in Ethiopia, Ethiopian Airlines 737 MAX 8. And then six months earlier, one crashed in Singapore. And so the U.S. and, and all major airlines across the world grounded their 737 MAX 8s. They are uh, causing a lot of headaches for airlines. Um I know because we were planning to go to Zambia later this year in July. The tickets are usually around seven, seventeen, eighteen grand, uh, eighteen grand, grand. Uh, seventeen hundred dollars, eighteen hundred dollars a person, <laughs> and it pushed them to over four thousand dollars a person. So my question would be: Is one how, like as far as a percentage goes of each of the uh, airlines, how many? Uh, of their of their fleet are the seven thirty seven Max eights. Yeah, what if two of them crash? What's that percent? Right, as far in, as among all seven thirty seven Max eights. Oh, like less than one half of one percent. And okay, so I probably wouldn't have worried about it. No, <laughs> and, and my next question is: Have they done investigations as to what was it user error or technical functionality? They're still investigating, but right now it, it looks like uh, faulty. Uh, faulty uh, software. Okay. Uh, faulty software and poor training. Was poor training? Mm-hmm. Okay. Or well, little to no training. Little to no training? These guys are pilots. <laughs> well, yeah, but pilots from Ethiopia and Singapore. Uh, yeah. That's, I guess, but I mean, if we're going to be hiring them, we should still have a standard more than oh, just yeah. like, hey, do you know what a depends, plane is? Depends on the country. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, in that case, I mean, I guess my answer would be depends on. Who's the pilot? (laughs) It depends on where. I don't mean to sound racist or Mm -hmm. anything. It's just that if you, because I mean, if there's a Ethiopian flying the plane, I suppose if I did some research, I might be able to find out. Okay, where did you go to like 
pilot school? Did, I mean, did you go somewhere like Europe or, or, or America or you know, somewhere <laughs> like that? Or were you like... Somewhere not Ethiopian. Were you, or were you, I don't know, picking one out of the air, Ethiopian trained? <laughs> <laughs> and in that case, no thank you. I will, I will swim. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe we should see like when people actually buy their tickets, like who their pilot was, where they were trained. Oh, yeah, that would be something. I mean, like if you put on the ticket, like where your pilot was trained, I mean, at least I feel like that's at least you're trying to go in the right direction. Yeah, and then what plane they're flying, because one of the things that I have looked at since then is like, okay, what planes have I flown on? And it's hard to get the information sometimes. Like what plane am I going to be flying on when I go to said country or said state or, mm-hmm. or, or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, what plane? It's hard to figure out that information. Right. So, yeah. um, cause a lot of times on the website, they'll be like, Oh yeah, you've got, you got one that has plenty of room in the, in the overhead to put your luggage. And then you show up and they're like, yeah, we don't have any room in our overhead because you <laughs> can't full. even, you can't even put a small cat up there. So <laughs> yeah, those of you who brought your small cats, you're going to have to check those valet. So <laughs> yeah, that's basically how it works. So would you guys be willing to fly since the, the max eights are actually coming back with American airlines and Delta are actually uh, bringing their Max Eights back this August. If I'm if I'm flying domestic, I'd probably be all right. I'd probably just yeah, yeah I'd just do it. And to yeah. be honest, if it's domestic, I'll probably drive. <laughs> That's the truth. I mean, most that times. is the Midwesterner right there. If I if I'm if I'm going by myself, I'll fly. But usually I don't. I, I'm usually taking nine other people with me. That that's a whole other story about how Midwesterners just choose to drive everywhere because like, oh, it's 14 hours. Oh no, no I'll drive that. Right, I I hate that. I don't. I don't I'm know a, if that is a is a Midwest oh, thing so much as a poverty mid, line. It thing. is definitely a Midwest thing. <laughs> I don't know. Well, and it, I guess you know. I mean, if it is a Midwestern thing, then I suppose it might have to do with something about like how our families might be bigger, or that we're more family people, and so when we travel, we typically travel in larger groups. Maybe I don't know. I'm just or maybe just that there's. Nowhere that you can't get within a day. Right, right, exactly. We're in the middle, right? Yeah. You know, which doesn't make sense. Like, why are we called the Midwest? We're just the mid, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got another one biting the dust. Technically, Ohio is in the Midwest. Right. That that. <laughs> and, okay, Justin just raged, <laughs> <laughs> and that makes even less sense. Oh, it really does. It's, if it's you in think the. About it. Kind of in the northeast. <laughs> okay, now it's represent the Great Lakes. If you, if you if you are in America, you live in the Midwest. You know, unless you're in Alaska, then you're in Alaska. Everywhere else yeah, outside of Hawaii, east, Pennsylvania, or further east, and I believe Colorado or further west. Pennsylvania's like, I mean, you. That's it's only one state over from the coast. <laughs> over there. I mean, you can drive to the beach in less than a day. Like you could get, you leave at lunch and get there at dinner time. Yeah. <laughs> When we come back, we're going to be talking about our main topic today, how to deal with our forefathers' legacies, and how does grace play a part in their stories. Stay tuned for the rest of the show. Sometimes it's hard to breathe, all these thoughts are shouting me, try to bring me to my knees, and it's overwhelming, darkness echoes all around, feels like everything is crashing down, still I know where my hope is found, and it's only you and who.
Yesterday, Jared Wilson, now a professor at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, but a popular writer and, and blogger uh, for the for the church and the Together for the Gospel, or TGC, um, put out an article called, Was George Whitfield a Christian? Uh, the article go, uh, gently deals with uh, some issues that surround George Whitfield's life, and it's an extension of a lecture that was given to Midwestern Seminary students on a recent New England study tour of uh, at Old South Church in Newport, Massachusetts. Um, that's where currently George Whitfield is buried. Um, I was actually on the trip and actually got to listen to the lecture. It was actually really, really good. Jared Wilson goes into, um, in his lecture, he goes into the fact that George Whitfield actually owns slaves. Um, and he says it's, it's a mark on his history. Um, obviously, we don't want to throw away all of George Whitfield because of him having slaves, but we need to own the fact that um, that he that he did, and that he was an evangelical, and that he was a pastor, and so we need to hold him in that light. But we don't need to throw away everything he's ever done. On Twitter, you know, I'm sure on Facebook too, when he tweeted out the fact that he had actually given a lecture on George, George Whitfield, he got fired at because of it. Not fired. He not got fired. He got some heat. He for got it. he got a lot of heat. Right. Uh, he was not fired, um, saying that you know how could you lecture on somebody that that held slaves? Um, this guy wasn't a Christian. Well, like how could how could you? I mean, how could hold you, on. Why why would they assume that? Why wouldn't his lecture? I mean, him lecturing on it does that mean automatically he's advocating for him? That's what they were assuming. Okay. Well, that did was they? A yeah. Silly assumption. And did they did they hear his lecture? No. Okay. <laughs> it's an even sillier assumption. Right. Yeah. And, and the issue is less the fact of whether or not being, le- you know, we can lecture on people like Adolf Hitler without affirming right. Adolf Hitler. Right. What they were concerned about is that they were, he was actually calling George Whitfield a Christian and a Christian pastor and evangelical. And people took issue with that yeah. huge issue with it because, well, he had slaves. Mm-hmm. And so yesterday he published an article called was George Whitfield a Christian. So he's dealing with uh, George Whitfield's legacy that is tainted by him actually owning slaves. Mm-hmm. And we were talking beforehand a little bit about it and, uh, Stephen, you brought up a good point that it it was less of the fact that he was making money off of slaves, but that he was actually saving money. Yeah, the, the part of the issue uh, is that um, George Whitfield was um, like gifted his like a plantation and uh, kind of gifted his first slaves in in a, in a way, and he he was very much uh, a proponent for the uh, for humanitarian efforts, um, as I think we all, all Christians should be, um, you know, like build, maybe building houses for the poor or providing jobs and, and uh, foster care ministry, adoption, uh, pr- providing for widows and those kinds of things. And that's, <clears throat> that was heavy on George Whitfield's heart. And a lot of uh, early church fathers um, had that heavy on their heart. And what George Whitfield uh, kind of figured out is that he can save a lot of money by, having slaves work for him in his uh, orphanages. He wouldn't have to pay anybody, um, and uh, he wouldn't pay the slaves. Um, and, and, that's, and that's something that's really um, uh, distinguishable between biblical slavery when it talks about slavery in the Bible. Um, it's not talking about 
a someone who's lorded over and is manipulated and used mm-hmm. and and not not paid. Mm-hmm. It was There's actually a, a worker. And it was employee. actually considered like a like a poverty system. Right. Like if someone got so far into debt or so far right, right. Uh, outside of their out. profits that they could actually sell themselves for a small period of time and right. work off those debts. Right. And then restart. It was almost a way for people to keep their dignity. Right. You know, right. When they and had failed. And in this case, this is not dignified at all. Yeah. Uh, this is this is um, really this is cattle slavery. Yeah, this is cattle slavery um, where they don't get paid. Um, they're usually not treated well. Um, I, I don't know how well George Whitfield treated his slaves. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I know from his sermons, uh, he he likely treated them with dignity mm-hmm. as much as you can treat yeah. with dignity someone you're not treating like a full human. So that's you know that's yeah. that odd line. Um, but anyway, that's how he would use the slaves. For those who don't know George Whitfield, a brief excerpt from Jared Wilson's article says, quote, George Whitfield, an English evangelist to the American colonies whose ministry attracted tens of thousands occasionally in one visit to hear his extraordinary preaching gift and passionate and dramatic articulation of the grace of God. We find no remedy in his man of his times ignorance. Early in his ministry, Whitfield spoke out against slavery and against slaveholding. And unlike many of his contemporaries at the time, he expressed a concern for the souls of slaves, urging that they would not be treated so that they would not just be treated kindly, but also evangelized to, and that their children catechized and raised in the church. Which is which is to say, Whitfield's earliest expression expressed positions stand in prophetic witness against his later and longer held expression expressed positions. The man did know better, essentially. Right. Right. He. Um he would preach one thing and live another. Yeah. And George Whitfield was not from America. And so when he came here, he kind of got, um, you know, acclimated to the, uh, to the society and mm-hmm. culture and stuff. And, and that's, and that's where Jared Wilson in his article is coming from. He's, he's saying the, the typical rebuke to anyone who says, um, George Whitfield shouldn't have owned slaves. The, the typical rebuke is, well, he was a man of his time. Yeah. That that was what people did in that time, and I agree with him that 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 defense, although true, <laughs> I think he was a man of his time, and he did succumb to the uh, I guess you'd call it pressure, uh, peer pressure, or whatever the yeah. or cultural pressure, yeah, or that he looked at it and said, "Hey, that, that here's a cheap way of running things. It's also an inhumane and sinful way of running things." Um, but uh, I'm gonna go ahead and do it. The, the many Christians around him were doing the same thing, and so it's easy when you see other Christians doing these bad things to say, "Oh well, if it's so bad, then well, why are the, all these other Christians doing? It? I must be I must be mis, misreading this, misthinking or overthinking this." And then you kind of like jump on board. Yeah, so, and, and I want to make clear that we in, in no way here at Northern Hills uh, or at Midwestern Seminary uh, we don't condone any kind of slavery. Um, not cattle slavery, not indentured servitude, servitude slavery. We, we, right. We don't like it. We we hate slavery. We see it as right. evil. Yeah. And so, uh, what the argument, like you said, is he was a man of his times. I have a hard time with that argument uh, for this, in the sense of then that argument can be used at any period of time. Right. Um, who. When we look back a hundred years from now, hopefully abortion's gone with. Right. But I would hate for pastors uh, to excuse the actions of people today and say, "Oh, they were just people of their times." Right. Porn- pornography is is so rampant today, and you know if if yeah, if, that's a really good example actually. Right. And so if I if I'm just you know 
free freely using and openly using pornography you know and 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 maybe my ministry's booming and my preaching's dynamic and which George Whitfield's was and he was I mean he was known for uh, being able to be heard up to a mile away a mile away and you think I'm loud if you <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean if you can imagine a like yelling at somebody from a mile away you can't hear them you just can't hear them and but he was not just like not like you could just hear his voice you could it was it, it's been said that it was as if he was speaking to you face to face you're a mile away from him and his preaching i don't believe that <laughs> so, so well, maybe you could he- make you maybe you could hear him, but not as if he well was. so <laughs> just, just real quick actually the new york times actually did a study on it and they said that his voice, one of the largest crowds that he ever had was over 30,000 people. And they said that you could, uh, he could have articulated himself amid so loud for crowds of up to 50 to 60,000 people. Sure. It's unreal. Sure. It's so like a small football stadium. Yeah. Sure thing. W- without any and natural amplification. So, so he was a marvel. Yeah. He was, he, yeah. he had gifts. He was blessed by the Lord and um, he was also living in sin. Right. And yeah. unrepentant sin is, is what George Whitfield um, talks about here. And, and so there is that tension where we have to deal with, okay, well, if he can openly live in sin, unrepentant mm. sin, um, then who else gets, if he gets to, then everybody gets to openly live in unrepentant sin. Right. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Every, every Christian that is. And, and I think that's what the, his Jared Wilson's critics are getting at. If we hold this guy up, who else are we going to hold up? Right. We don't need to hold anybody up. That's right. the problem. Yeah. God can use broken men to do amazing things. Mm-hmm. Right. It does, just because this man did some amazing things doesn't make him a great man. Yeah. And he's not God. Right. And he, 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 in the, in the article, Jared Wilson talks about, you know, also like we can easily say that, that George Whitfield's a broken, sinful man. Uh, because it doesn't, it should not affect our theology at all, uh, as he says in there that unless we have confessed our faith in George Whitfield, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and accepted George Whitfield into our heart to save us <laughs> from our sins, this should not affect us. No, you know, um, I mean, if even if you think of like biblical characters who lived extraordinary lives who failed, David, exactly, just, yeah. that's you, just one guy. I tell and people, I, oh, good. I'm sorry. I, I think you can actually use this entire story as as a good tool to to for, especially for young pastors because oftentimes I think we as human human nature use this uh, and it, as it talks about in the article the the grand scale of good and bad what you do in your life and that's how you justify doing bad things and that's incorrect yeah doctrine. Yeah. You don't you don't use a grand scale of good things that you've done to outweigh your bad. You're exactly. just bad. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And any bad action cannot be outweighed by any good action. That's right. just not how it works. And so I, I tell people that as far as like the David thing, I, I I usually tell people with David is that like you see his most effective ministry between when he um, he squares up to Goliath is mm-hmm. the beginning basically of his ministry of his effective ministry and. That extends all the way to um, when, not not even at Bathsheba, but when he's supposed to be at war, but he's not. Yeah. Right. And so that if, between those two events, um, those two, his inaction, or rather his action uh, taken at 
the scene of Goliath and his inaction mm-hmm. taken um, as as he's not at war and thereby putting himself in, in temptation's way. Uh, between those bookends is his effective ministry. And then he does not finish well. Yeah. Right. Yeah, da- David, pretty much David does downhill. not finish well. Yeah. And you could make the argument that, you know, like George Whitfield, I mean, he struggled with uh, sexual uh, temptation. He struggled with lust. He, you can uh, read about it in his uh, many writings uh, when he was a young man. Uh, actually, he, de- he doesn't really address it much, as, uh, as a matter of fact, but he does address it from time to time about how he struggled with lust yeah. and, um, and that. He, he really had a hard time uh, coming to grips how he could be a Christian and struggle with lust. Yeah. And then he eventually came to actually know Christ and understand grace because it, to him it was more of a works righteousness mm-hmm. in his younger younger uh, uh, years. And then he when he actually accepted Christ, that's when he understood, oh, it's grace through, yeah. f- through faith that yeah. we are saved, not through our actions and, and those kind of things. So if you go from that moment, you know, uh, and you could maybe think of it until he owned his first slave or whatever. There's his really effective ministry. Does he still know and love the Lord? Yeah, uh, but he did not finish well. Yeah. Well, and I think there's one distinct difference. It's that David was broken because of what he did. George Woodfield was not. Right. There is there is a distinction there where he's he's called out on the carpet by Nathan and Nathan or and, and David's like. You read my mail. Yeah. <laughs> you got yeah. me. You yeah. got me. You know, and he even, you can read his psalm about it, you know, his, his repentance. Mm-hmm. And that's, and there's, and there's, it comes back David, again. Right. David's heart was broken for it. George Whitfield justified it. Right. And, and the, it, it comes back to the unrepentant sin. Yeah. And can we, I, I think of the homosexuals, mm-hmm. right? That want the, those homosexuals who want to say that they are also Christian, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You, you can, um, well, I feel like we probably don't have to say it, but I'm going to, um, that you can have, uh, homosexual temptations and, and leanings and those kind of things and still be a Christian. You can't live in open sin yeah. homos- uh, as a homosexual, sin. unrepentant, open, unrepentant sin as a homosexual and be a Christian, just like you can't be a heterosexual and live in open, unrepentant sin yep, and, yep. and still be a yep. Christian. And so then we get down to this fine line. Okay, well, great, the, this great Christian giant, George Whitfield, mm. was he a Christian? Mm. And luckily, we have the privilege of not being the one who decides that. Yeah, yeah. it's not our job to even decide it. Right. I think, Stephen, you picked up on, a, uh, on an interesting point that Christians look at uh, characters like George Whitfield, they say, how dare you? How dare you? You needed to be more like this person, or we need to be more like David. Mm. Well, the issue is I don't want to be like David because of what happens with Bathsheba. I, I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to be like some of the great characters like Noah or David or, and just name we anybody. We need to stop using men as idols and right. use Christ. Yeah. Right. Men are flawed. When we put men up on a pedestal, they'll fail. Not exactly. Not care what great things they've done. They're not perfect. Yeah. yeah. The name of Noah, the name of David, the name of George Whitfield, they, they don't, they don't, nobody's going to bend, bow their knee. No. Uh, they're not coming back. No. You know, the, they don't, they don't save me from my sins. They yeah. didn't die on a cross for me. They didn't shed their blood for me. They didn't, they didn't defeat death for me. Christ did that. And so that's, that's where we need to hang our hat at the end of the day. So where does grace come into this? Pastors are held to a higher standard. Yeah, and we look at certain characters in history. Let's go to the Reformation. Martin Luther, 
was a raving anti-Semitic near, near the end of his life. Where does where does grace factor into uh, the life of pastors and, and the life of just ordinary Christians? Sure, sure. I, I mean, grace is what it's really all about. At the end of the day, you can't have uh, a relationship with Christ without that grace. And I think even Christians stumble. Oh yeah, uh, it happens all the time. Pastors stumble, but. When, when you get into a pastoral role, mm. you, it is your job to be responsible for others. You're held to a far higher standard, yeah. and y- you need to understand that going in and also need to understand that and check yourself on a daily basis mm-hmm. when you become a pastor. When you get a situation where a pastor is living in habitual sin, yeah, they're no longer allowed to be a pastor. They're mm. not responsible anymore for even themselves, much less others. Yeah, and we've talked about that here on the podcast, that, that pastors are held to a, a not just a higher standard for themselves, but a higher standard for those that they're leading. Yes, yes, very much so. And so I I want to be, you know, I, I always want to be hesitant. I was listening to a, another podcast, um, not ours, uh, talking about... Um, the role of seminary and that seminary takes all this theology, all this grand stuff and, and it's good stuff, but it's the equivalent of putting a Ferrari engine into a golf cart and then putting a young man like me behind the wheel and saying, go, Yeah, yeah. Uh, we don't know how to handle it yet. And so one of the things that I fear is that, and I don't want to get to this place of where I look at the men in history who did their best. Now, obviously, George Whitefield was unrepentant, uh, but there are great men in history that were doing their best, were men of their times, didn't recognize sin in their life. And we now have the ability to look back and call that, well, you, you jacked up. You don't ha- you don't deserve a, a spot anymore. And not just people from Antiquity, well, but I don't think other should, pastors. Sure, sure. And I don't think we should take those people out from learning lessons from them. Exactly. Even people who make mistakes or even just bad people in general sometimes do good things. There's still things to be learned about mm-hmm. people in our history. Mm-hmm. So I think to just eradicate them from history and say that was that was bad <laughs> is, is the wrong way to go about that entirely. We need to dissect that and then understand this is what they did really well. Yeah. And this is what they failed at. Mm-hmm. We need to understand this is how, how, how do we get better? How do we mm-hmm. learn from this? Mm-hmm. How do we use it to, to move forward? Well, gentlemen, thank you for joining me on today's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Northern Hills Baptist Church, you can go online to nhpcweb.org. Or if you'd like to learn more about Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, you can go online to mbts.edu. Thanks for tuning in. Pull you down.